On this week's podcast, I sit down with Merger Arb and event trader Josh Goldberg, and we examine all the possible outcomes for Anadarko, Occidental, and Chevron. How much more can this asset fetch, and is it currently trading above its final deal price? I'm Mike Samuels, founder and portfolio manager of Broom Street Capital, and this is According to Sources for the week of April 28, 2019. It's crossing the tape right now. Let me explain what's happening here. Some breaking news to share with you this morning. M&A related. There's good activism. I think eBay is in that situation. They got a jewel in PayPal. There's bad activism. Unfortunately, JCPenney was a dying company. Examples of activism gone awry. It was not a surprise to me that that deal fell through. I just want to set the stage a little bit, right? Because I feel like a lot can change on Monday. Like we might hear something on Monday from Anadarko. So it's 9.45 uh, Sunday morning. I'm here with Josh Goldberg, one of the uh, best event traders, merger arb traders I know. Um, someone I speak to multiple times a day. Personal friend and friend of the podcast. You were on uh, the Campbell Soup episode, which was episode two, I think, when I think I had about 50 listeners. Way before the big right. name started. <laughs> exactly. No, but it's true. Like one of the reasons I always talk about how NXPI Qualcomm was one of the uh, reasons that I started the podcast and like you and me would have these daily conversations and our arguments about, you know, where's a Broadcom going to go? Where's NXPI going to go? What's Qualcomm worth? Um, so thanks again for coming back. Oh, absolutely. So I obviously want to devote most of this to, to Anadarko Chevron Oxy and, and kind of just get right into it. One um, of the crazier hostile bid situations I think we've seen play out. In right. And I, recent I, years. I was actually looking into, you know, how often does a does a hostile happen in oil? Right. And it really never happens. So the first question I'm just going to ask is why? I, I think one thing that's worth noting is we usually never see a, a company the size of Anadarko, which now has a market cap of thirty six and a half billion dollars selling itself without doing a a process where everyone actually gets a shot. But don't you think, I mean, do you think that Anadarko has been for sale kind of our entire careers? Like it's always been one of those names that's like everyone always said was in play. It's you've heard it in the rumor mills a million times. It, it's one of those names that always made sense for someone to buy. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, let's just go over. It. So current Chevron Anadarko price right now as of Friday close, 61.50. Originally it was 65. And the current Oxy deal is 75.36. So I just want to start with how true did this narrative feel? The market believes that Anadarko executives took a lower deal for their own personal gain, meaning they either like had new jobs lined up at Chevron um, and they did this to the detriment of Anadarko shareholders. As much as the press likes to make that sound true, and there was even a question on the uh the CVX earnings call about it, which they wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. You know, I, I find that to be not super important to the situation that's still going on now. You know, I, I think that what happened was APC had the indicated bid from Oxy, which I, I don't think was quite at the level that they're bidding now. And APC really viewed a lot of risk to the Oxy vote. I mean, it was, it was a massive premium for Oxy to be paying. It was an aggressive synergy number. And I think APC almost rightly thought that Oxy stock would get destroyed to the point where they would not get the vote, where an activist would come in or two activists and 
it would be a vote that people could actually oppose. So like the back end leverage on Oxy after the deal would be done and a lot of things I think would lead people to vote with their feet and just sell as soon as that deal was announced. And you know, while while we say right now the APC deal is worth seventy five thirty six, you know, that's using Oxy at sixty one thirty one where it closed on Friday. And I think when the APC people were actually evaluating it, they were probably putting a price in for Oxy that was closer to 55. Right. So I guess, okay, a couple questions here. Number one, the, the one thing we haven't seen yet, we've seen now an activist, you know, D.E. Shaw kind of come out with, in Anadarko. But we haven't seen someone on the, in the Oxy shareholder base come out and say, well, like, hold on, like maybe we don't want to get involved uh, in this process, right? The, the only thing we saw that even hinted at that, I thought was, you know, when, when Oxy made their formal bid, the Oxy CEO was on TV and she was insinuating that she had her shareholder support. While she said, you know, I, I didn't give them the details of the bid and I didn't do anything that would violate Reg FD. She made it sound to me like she had spoken to people that were her holders and that they were on board with her doing this. But then we got to see a note from Mizuho, which basically said that he had spoken to the page one Oxy holders and that they were all beyond angry. Mm. I, I think that was the only spot we actually saw anything except what the Oxy CEO told us about what her shareholders were feeling after she made the bid. Right, which in theory, when you think about it, I mean, when we see a situation like this and you get ARB pressure, right? Like, let's say hypothetically Oxy did win the asset. Not only will we see ARB pressure, but if you have a, like a whole crew of page one dissenting shareholders, I mean, then you could, I mean, it's very hard to quantify how ugly this could get if the core base just doesn't want any piece of the deal. Yeah. And, and especially given the back end leverage on Oxy and the need for Oxy to execute on the asset sales that they've spoken about and the need for Oxy to hit what some people think is an aggressive synergy target. Um, so a lot of people like to say right now, well, then, you know, Oxy's going up. People like the deal for Oxy. This is this is great. You know, their va their value that they're bidding is higher because their stock isn't going down. And I think the big problem with that right now is no one thinks Oxy could win. So mm -hmm. we're seeing Oxy act as if they've already lost this bidding war. You know, it creates this circular dynamic where now Chevron's forced to bump against an Oxy price that isn't really representative of where Oxy will be if they win. Right. And I want to get to the, sh the idea of a Chevron bump, but I, I just kind of want to go to what comes next and when. Right. So we probably we should get something from Anadarko Monday, I would think. I, I think there's two things that could happen. I, I don't know if it's going to come Monday, but I think sometime in the next week or so, um, Anadarko right now is deciding whether or not the Oxy bid is superior. And then... And by the way, I mean, if the reporting is right, they've already rejected this bid privately, right? I, Which I is, feel the like, whole dynamic is a little weird. I, I'm not sure if they rejected this bid or a bid that was just like a little different. Maybe it was like a, a little, little lower. Like I the think, ratio of stock cash was lower? I, I think maybe the re I think the ratios were definitely different, but I also I also feel like the original Oxy bid was not as high as the bid that they made public to us. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure of that, but I don't think we'll ever exactly know. But I feel like they sweetened it a little before they made this approach publicly. Right. But it, getting back to what you said, what comes next? So, I mean, right now, APC has told us they're reviewing the bid from Oxy mm -hmm. and the APC board 
is going to decide at some point whether or not they think the oxy bit is superior. And if they do think it's superior, then they say like, they go ahead and they say to Chevron, listen, this is a superior bid. We're going to enter this agreement, you know, and Chevron then has four business days by which to match or make their counter bid. Okay, so let, let's go through a, a couple different scenarios here. Scenario one is APC reiterates that the Chevron bid is still better. Okay, and, and and essentially they would have to go totally scorched earth on Oxy and say that the currency is terrible. So what what percentage chance do you think that happens, first of all? And then secondly, where does APC go if they do that? I mean, your gut would tell you APC would probably go down a little. Like APC right now is trading at a $2.20 spread to the Oxy deal and a negative 11.60 spread to the Chevron deal. So, I mean, if APC did that, your gut would say that APC should go lower. But, you know, it's it's hard it's hard for me to believe that APC is able to say that now. The shareholder revolt would be humongous. Humongous. And, I, I mean, I, I think Chevron on their call on Friday basically told us, you know, we still care. You know, we like this deal. We still care about this deal. You know, I feel like the undertone of it was like, we're going to add something to our bid to make this not have a negative $11.30 spread. But I don't feel like Chevron feels like they need to bid against Oxy's 75 36 in value right now. Right. So so the thing is about, and I, I think you'll agree with this, that the reason that we don't see the competitive activity in oil, like we do in, let's say, like biopharma or tech, is that it's, it's really just math for these guys, right? That, that it works at a certain level and it doesn't work at a certain level and it's fairly quantifiable while in like biopharma or tech, the, the addressable market is really open to interpretation. Yeah, there's an asset here. Like right. We know how much Anadarko has where. We have a value that we could assign to that. We could actually come up with a real synergy number that's, you know, not totally pulled out of thin air. You know, at, at some point, it's not worth it for people to pay so much for Anadarko. I totally agree. I just wonder if it seems like from what the Oxy CEO said on TV that they just have so much time sunk into this idea of buying Anadarko. She said they've been doing it for two years and you wonder like have they almost lost um, have they almost lost what's right and wrong for the company at this point? I you know like that, that idea of time sunk costs, you know. I, I feel like she's angry. She's like yeah. angry that they didn't take her seriously. She's angry she didn't get the answers she wanted. Um, I, I don't feel like she feels the need to make Chevron pay more, you know, because of her spite. But I feel like there's there's something going on there that I can't quite get my arms around. And I, I'm not sure. There's a lot of circular logic going on in this thing where, you know, the less we think that Oxy could win, the higher Oxy goes the more it seems like their bid is worth. Right. And, you know, it creates this problem. And, you know, for everyone that says, like, the synergies are so big and Chevron sandbagged the synergies, then, you know, my question is, like, why why did Chevron sell off on the deal? And why hasn't Chevron come back? I, there, there's a very circular thing going on where, you know, if everything's true, then Chevron should be higher. Mm -hmm. Or if Oxy's going to win, then Oxy should be lower. Or, you know if everyone thinks Chevron's going to win, then Oxy should be higher. Right. 
So, okay, so we both kind of agree then. If if APC reiterates that Chevron is, is better, I, you know, APC goes down 70? Well, so APC doesn't necessarily, like, reiterate that. It, I, I don't... If APC... If APC still says that Chevron's better, which is a unlikely scenario, but, I mean, they could, they would have to really make the case about how awful a stock Oxy is. They would. And, you know, I, I almost feel like... I, I'm not sure how the next event pans out, but I feel like the next thing that we're going to see here is Chevron adds some cash to their bed. Okay, so that, that's scenario two. So scenario two I wanted to ask you is, let's say APC says the Oxy bid is superior right chevron that has four days to do something and let's say they raise they put five dollars more in cash right so their bid is now 66 and a half what does apc do there that's kind of where i think apc goes down um you know if chevron adds five dollars in cash to their bid their bid will be worth 66 half 66 half um, and do we agree that this probably trades at like a 5% yield on a done deal? 5% spread? Annualized. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe tighter. I mean, it's it's a really safe deal. Right. Chevron's a great buyer. They shouldn't have any antitrust issues. Like, it, it'll close. Right. And the thing is, though, so if Chevron adds five and they get to 66 and a half-ish, they still have to make the case that, you know, the oxy bid is only worth, you know, 70 and a half bucks because Oxy is going to be $54. And, you know, it's it's really weird for Chevron to have to come out and say, like, you know, Oxy stock is way too high if this deal is going to happen. And that's not something that I'm sure they're going to be super comfortable doing, coming out and slamming their competitor and saying, you know, their their currency is fictitious. Right. So the, 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 the APC bulls will say that, okay, let's say worst case scenario, Oxy goes to 56. And they'll say it was 67, so fine. It goes to 56, which is $72. Let's say it trades you know, 5% annualized. It's high 69s. That's still pretty good. So my downside is fairly limited. But I don't understand what the upside is here. Like, What are you, what are you hoping for if you're paying 72 plus right now? I've had some trouble with that. I mean, people I speak to, some of them seem to cite this thing called like the risk arb handbook. And they're like, you know, risk arb 101, it's a bidding war. The the buyers are good. You know, you just keep buying it. And a lot of people seem to think like, you know, we're going to get a bump from Chevron, another bump from Oxy, and then another final deal from Chevron. And I'm just not... Sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't really know how to handicap whether or not Chevron's just going to say, you know, enough. Like, did you did you I'm get anything from the this. from the Chevron call that made you think like um, that clued you into what they might do next? There was that one point where one of the I think it was the the CFO, one of the executives kind of said, like, they were talking about how they could have changed the bid at the beginning to be like more cash and less stock. Mm hmm. And he, he kind of said it in the present tense that made it sound like they're going to add cash. Right. There was like a little a little slip-up verbiage. A little slip-up, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't think it was intentional, but, you know, it gave the 
gave the event driven guys enough confidence to say like okay this is the next thing i think is going to happen is going to pan out like chevron is going to have to bump with cash right okay so there's a third scenario i want to bring to you so the third scenario is what everyone's hoping for right is that chevron significantly raises right that they raise to let's say 70 to 72 adding a bunch of cash where does apc go if chevron raises their bid to basically match Will it just keep trading $3 over? I mean, I think the amount it trades over will decrease, but a lot of that's going to have to do with uh, with what Chevron and Oxy stock prices do. You know, as again, as silly as I think it is, like people really are using the last sale in Oxy to value the Oxy bid. I don't know what gets that to change. And, you know, when Chevron bumps with if Chevron bumps and they raise it up to a price of like, let's say instead of adding five, they had ten dollars cash, mm-hmm. um, which seventy one you know, and a half gets us to seventy one and a half, which would be a humongous raise. I just don't see it happening. It would be a humongous raise. And, you know, it would be Chevron also admitting that the synergy number they give us originally was low. Which they Which I, do, companies do all the time. But they do all the time, but like I, I don't know. We just saw that happen with BSM right and T- ENTG. They they pulled the same thing. Yes, but for a company like Chevron to go from like two to three and a half billion on synergies in you know a couple of weeks is pretty. Do you think that um, it would be interesting if Chevron bumped, let's say five dollars, but also said best and final? That would be interesting. It would, you know, in the United States, we don't see best and final that much. Right. And it also doesn't have the meaning it has in other countries. Like, it's not as binding as it is in the UK or some other places. Right. So if, it, it, okay, back to scenario three. Scenario three, Chevron raises to 71 and a half. Um, do, do people, do APC longs believe that Oxy has more room to bump? I guess they do. Well, it's also a question of like whether or not APC Longs or APC is willing to sit through an Oxy vote. Right. You know, and that that seems to be undervalued by a lot of people really because of what the Oxy stock price has done. Right. What do you believe is the final resting place for Oxy if they win the asset? Really hard to quantify. I think it's really hard to quantify because I think at some point, it's extremely worth it for an activist to come in and try to bust up the vote. So, you know, if Oxy was $50, like I'd want to be buying Oxy because I think there's no chance that they have the vote. It's it's another 50 would be crazy. But it's yeah. another circular logic thing. We say 50 would be crazy, but I mean, keep, keep in mind the premium that they're paying for APC and the, you know, I don't think 50 is possible, but I, I'm not. I, don't, I really don't want to underestimate it because Oxy is paying twenty bucks. I mean, they're they're paying almost a ten billion dollar premium. Yeah. To where it was trading, and Oxy's market cap, you know, before it started going down, let's say it was fifty billion. So Oxy down twenty percent from their their pre price of sixty seven puts you at you know. 54 or something mm-hmm. and is that impossible for oxy to lose all the premium they paid and for people to hate owning a three times levered company and to be worried about the actual 
synergy numbers. I I mean I I don't think it's. I mean I the it's it's I don't know if it's a fair example or not, but if you want to look at Takeda Shire about you know one company that was buying a company of almost equal size and what can happen to a stock price when that happens and there's some unhappy shareholders i mean takeda went down way further than i think anyone ever dreamed i know but everyone was very negative on takeda's long-term prospects before they did the deal like people were like takeda has to do this deal mm -hmm. i don't think people are saying oxy needs to do this deal um i don't think people are saying it would be like a horrible deal for them but given the price that they're talking about paying I think it, and the leverage that they ended up on the back end, I, I think it really would call into question whether or not you'd want to stay an Oxy shareholder. Let's say, so let's say Chevron wins and they win with something higher and we think that's going to trade at a 5% annualized spread. Mm -hmm. So let's say, let's say Oxy wins and let's say they even just win with something a little higher and let's say Oxy's share price goes to... 56 okay and which you know i wouldn't be buying 56s on the first day if that's if that happened i wouldn't on either. monday i mean i'd be scared i'd be scared to buy oxy at all until a very large amount of stock traded. it seems like right now the more binary event is going to be an oxy rather than an apc to me where apc is agree like a oxy has more of a chance of gapping down 10 percent than Anadarko does. I think Oxy will gap down 10% as soon as people think that they might win. Right, exactly. And I think in people's minds, the odds of Oxy winning this all right now are small. Sub 20%. It kind of goes back to that uh, that idea of like the merger art playbook, which is um, you buy a bidding war, but also that the $200 billion company always beats out the $50 billion company for the asset. Always. If they want it, yeah. Right. So, you know, let's let's take a sidestep for a sec. Is Chevron, you know, up until the call, I thought there was a chance that Chevron was just like frustrated or angry or fed up or unhappy with the way this was playing out. And in my mind, that led to some chance that Chevron would just say, like, you know, enough. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not going to play this game with you, Oxy. You're crazy. You but they, they don't really have to do that yet because in their eyes, they still have the better bid. Yeah, they don't have to do anything until APC says, you know, this deal is superior, we're going to sign it. Right. You know, at that point, Chevron has four days, and then for subsequent rounds, they have three days, business days, for their, you know, matching period or their chance to, like, come up with a better proposal. And, you know, I, I think, I, I don't know if we see that trigger happen yet, but I feel like after the call on Friday that Chevron had, you know, most people feel like Chevron will add some cash. Right. But, you know, let's let's go back to it. Like Oxy's been on the table if, you know, their stock goes to 56, let's say. Oxy's been on the table then is worth uh, a little over 72 bucks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at it right now, if APC was 68 and Oxy was 56, I wouldn't be buying 68s. Like that, that would be a... 12.3% return-ish to 170 days, you know, 5.5% simple. Um, I don't think I'd be getting compensated enough for the APC vote risk. Right. right. I would just want a much bigger spread. So, you know, let's say, let's say it's 66 
you know, so then we're talking about like 8.8% simple, 20% annualized, you know, is someone going to come in and make noise in Oxy? Like maybe at that point I'm getting paid for it. So we're, we're talking about Chevron right now. What we were talking about before is bidding against an, a bid that people say values APC north of uh, 75, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But like in reality, that that bid is probably only worth something around like 72. It's probably worth 72, but it would probably trade with a $5 spread. So because of the vote risk, which is real, which is real. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially if you believe Mizuho, Mizuho and some other people that the page one holders are going to be so unhappy. Right. Let's, uh, I just want to ask you a couple other just, just random off-topic things. So do you think that now, so there's this prevailing belief now that like um, Exxon's going to get into M&A and that it's, this is going to spawn some global oil M&A wave. Exxon on their call on Friday seemed to say that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of think that's a red herring, you know. And if someone, if there is a third bidder for APC that we haven't seen yet, I really don't think that they show up to the party until um, Chevron and Oxy have settled what's going on. Right. And no, but the, you've seen like PXD and you know some of these other names just like go wild because people think everything Permian is just in play now. That another asset is going to be something yeah, people more, want. Yeah, more to that idea. I don't see it happening. Like you said, Exxon kind of like shot that down a bit. Uh, I mean, Exxon shot down them getting involved. Like, does Oxy go after someone else or if Chevron actually decides they don't want APC, do they have to go after someone else? I, I mean, I, I think that's all just kind of noise right now. Right. Not even worth uh, positioning for. Let's, let's just briefly, I just want to ask you about, so anything else in Merger Arb interesting you? Like, are you looking at once, Zayo, Nielsen, Caesar? Once I spark for therapeutics, I, I find that one to be super interesting. Um, you know, Roche obviously is having some issue with, uh, I think it's like a hemophilia overlap. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people think it thought this was just going to sail through due to their partnership. I mean, I, I think it ultimately closes, but the risk reward right now being like eight and a half or nine to one using the uh, pre-deal price isn't quite at the spot where I'd be willing to get involved. Right. Um, Zayo's been weird. Zayo's been weird. Zayo's been weird. And, you know, there's been a lot of things coming out from Street Insider, which on these. How are uh, they not in jail? I mean, they're just. I, I don't understand. But, you know, they've been publishing a lot on these pre-deal situations. And, you know, the frequency which they're publishing seems to be increasing all the time. Um, I I personally can't make a lot of sense of it. But I, it, when it comes to Zayo, it, it almost reminds me of, like some of these private equity fueled names, um, the reporting is just so constant. Like we saw that in Arconic, where it just seemed like every other day there was another article. And Zayo, it, literally every source has been out on this. Um, CTFN has been out on this, Reuters and Bloomberg, everyone. Um, and every story is a little bit different. But there was a couple of, I don't know, Friday's action felt a little weird. There was a couple of stories about them canceling out of a conference and 
I don't know. Kind of, kind of feel like, like it's actually happening. Canceled the dinner that they had just scheduled days right. before. Right. Yeah. But CTFN had said that they were gonna perhaps sell it in two pieces, and that was gonna delay the whole process. I think it happens, but I don't love it. I own a little bit, but I don't love it. I'd rather own it than be short at right. this point. Yeah. All right. I got to do five questions with you, right? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Um, question one. So you're a, you're a big live music guy. How many fish shows have you been to? You know, a lot of people keep track of it now, but I never kept track of it a long time ago, so I've lost count. Over a hundred? Over a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So you've been to over a hundred fish shows. Okay. Uh, question A would be best concert you've ever been to. And question B would be if you could listen to one band live that no longer exists, what would it be? Um, I think those are kind of uh, tied for me. One of the best shows I've been to is uh, it was small, but I saw Robert Plant play at Brooklyn Bowl. And, you know, he gave off this. What year is this? Uh, it was in, I think it was 94. Okay. Um, and he gave off this feeling of like just being such an amazing artist and like he could do no wrong and you know some of the stuff he was doing was like his new stuff which was a little like weird and kooky but it was still amazing and uh you know i would i would like to see led zeppelin play as a band mm. you know and i i know that's supposedly impossible due to some internal things going on between them or something but I think that would be great to see. Aside from that, I mean, I've, I've loved every Fish show I've been to. I really haven't seen a bad one, and it's my favorite band. And I also really like, uh, you know, their MSG runs and their New Year's runs. Like, the people and the feelings there are just really amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, number two. Uh, in your career, if you could have one trade back as a do-over, what do you think it would be? There was a point after the financial crisis where Citibank was buying in these trust preferreds. And, uh, you know, we had thought that incorrectly that, you know, after the offers expired, they, uh, the securities were going to be like close to worthless. So, you know, the next morning we came in and sold uh, almost every one of them. And it turns out we were just horribly wrong. Like, we were selling things at 10 that we were covering at 20. You know, it was, mm. it was one of the ugliest trades. I, I, I don't think it was the most money I've lost on a trade because it was like earlier in my career, but, uh, as a percentage basis, it was one of the most horrible trades I've ever right. Uh, okay. Question three, if you could be on one game show, what would it be? You know, I always like pressure luck. You know, I always thought what, that was which like, one was that again? It was like the no whammy one where you're like, is that Wayne Brady does that one now? I'm not sure. Now. I don't. Okay. I don't. I haven't seen the new one, but uh, yeah, I always liked that as a kid, and I would have liked to have been on that one. I know it's not like a game of skill; it's a lot of luck. But uh, I always thought it was funny and had the whammies and no whammy, no whammy, stop. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah. And then what do you? What's the best? What are you watching right now? What's the best TV show you got? Um. Yeah, I like some of the comedies. There's a comedy called Life in Pieces, which I think is really funny. That just came back on the air. I mean, I'm I'm dying to see how Game of Thrones ends. Aside from that, there's nothing I'm particularly in love with yeah, right now. Same. I'm looking for something though. Yeah. Okay. Question four. Um, tell me what you think is the best part about this job, and what do you think is the worst part about this job? 
I mean, this job provides a lot of like freedom for people, which I think is great. Um, and you know, it, it's hard to sugarcoat it. Like when you're making money, there's nothing better than what we do. And when you're not, it's extremely sad. You know, it's funny, even for anyone I've talked to from, you know, really high profile people like John Paulson to, to people like us, they all say the same thing, meaning they're like, I didn't want to work 14 hours a day as a banker and I could do this job and my day's over at 4 p.m. You know, everyone across the board is like, I love the freedom that this job gives me. The downside for me always is the waiting. Yeah, well, I mean, the hardest thing about this job is knowing when to do nothing. Right. And I still have problems with that. Like, you know, if I didn't overtrade, I think I would, my returns would be so much better. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's hard to just come into work and do nothing. It's hard. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with other experienced people where they feel like you can't do that. That if you do that, you get like atrophy and you like lose your edge. And part of what you do requires you to lose money on things that you shouldn't be doing. I, I mean, I'm just to stay in the game, mentally. to stay in the game, I yeah. kind of get that. But then it's like you have to pick well, how, how far am I going to veer out of the lane and do that? I, I mean, I understand what they're saying, but by the same token, like. If I cut out like my six worst trades every year, my my wallet would be so much happier, right. you know. And six of the five of those six trades are probably something that would be considered like style drift or you know trading when I shouldn't or trying to force something. I think about that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Question five: Describe your 2019 so far emotionally, and how do you cope with a bad day? Uh, my 2019 has been like up and down. I'm, I'm making money, but I'm not making the amount of money I wish I was. Um, you know, the bad days for me specifically one by one aren't like totally horrible. You know, I've been doing it for a while and I, I don't feel it as much as I used to, but, uh, you know, if I have like a bad two weeks or a bad month at, at that point, you know, I try to just refocus and remind myself like, you know, what I actually do is I look at like long-term charts and like when I start looking at long-term charts of P&L, like the bad week or the bad month, it doesn't even show up. And like, I'll go back and I'll see where else I had bad weeks or bad months. And, you know, it, it kind of gives me some confidence that like these things happen. It's okay. You know, need to like stay focused and reset and just make sure when I go in the next day, I'm not trading my P&L and I'm actually doing what I think is right. Mm. I feel like for me, I mean, the the first outside of last week and maybe the week before that, 2019 has been real hard. And it it almost gets to the point where for me, when when things are good, you, you, you know, I can't wait to go to my desk. I can't wait to start working. But when things are bad, it's almost like this feeling of uh, you just know that you're not going to make money. And, and I almost have trouble getting out of bed um, late March, early April. Um, it's hard. No, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I think you just need to remind yourself that, you know, you're not a loser. You know, like, <laughs> we've been doing it long right. enough that we know we're not, you know, we're not losing money. We're just not making what we're used to usually is what right. happens. Right. I guess uh, the last bonus question. So I know we were just talking about Avengers and you're going to see it later. Does Disney, is Disney still trading off movies? Meaning like obviously like this last humongous move last week was... Fox related and and the investor day but 
like is is back to the old days when Disney would ramp into Star Wars releases. Is that what's happening right now? Like, is Disney going to gap up three dollars on Monday? I mean, I, I think what we're seeing in Disney is a pure lack of sellers, and you know, I I don't think it's wrong. I mean, he laid out a very interesting plan that we're not going to know if it worked or not until Q one twenty twenty, and a lot of people want to be there for it. And at the same time, he's releasing what will be the most popular movie ever with the most Chinese sales ever. And, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to say it's too high. And a lot of people just want to sit and wait. And, you know, I get it. Markets at highs. You know, people believe in it. People see Netflix. They want to like there was a survey out on Friday talking about how many people are going to subscribe to the new Disney service. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney is almost in a spot where I, I don't even, I, I don't think if, if Avengers got bad reviews, I don't even know if Disney would go down, would have gone down on Friday. I, I think it's just kind of getting the benefit of every doubt and a function of where the market is. And, you know, do I think it's a lot of value that was created and people are, you know, very optimistic on it. I I do, but it's not like I think they're wrong. I you know they might be right, and I think that's all it takes right now for the stock to literally have no sellers. Right, right. You know. Well, enjoy the movie today, man. Thanks. Thank- My thanks again to Josh Goldberg. As a reminder, while the podcast is weekly, I often tweet thoughts in real time. The handle there is at Accord to Sources. That's A C C O R D T O Sources. And again, if there's something that you think I'm missing or there's an idea out there that I I should be paying attention to that I'm not, you can email me, and that is michael at accordingtosourcespodcast.com. That concludes According to Sources for the week of April 28th, 2019, and I will see you next week.